But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken him away, Lord. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to your brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Romans 10, 9 and 10, Because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning step into the light and the power of the resurrection and what that means for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are in the middle of a series talking about the little things, and we're celebrating the resurrection. I don't, that's not little, right? There's nothing little about Jesus rising from the dead. It's the biggest event in human history. History stands at a fulcrum on this point. But there is something little about our response, something that unlocks the power of the resurrection in our lives. I think about something as basic that maybe we take for granted today, like an antibiotic. How in the 1920s, a, 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 a fungus, a, a mold, opened the eyes of the medical community that this could push back uh, bacterial infection. Well, it took 20 years. It took millions of dollars. It took factories. It took a worldwide search to find the right mold that was so potent. It took chemical chemists and, and factories to harvest and, and create this accessibility. It took a world war, the urgency to get it done quickly. 20 years later, all we do is take a pill and put it in our mouth and drink a glass of water. A small thing. But all the work that was done to get it to that point. That's a picture of what Christ has done for us. He did the work, we take the pill. He did the work, we make. This little thing we're calling this morning a faith confession. My main point this morning, a faith confession in the good news of Jesus and his resurrection is the little thing that takes you out of the darkness of this life and grants you access into an eternal life with God that it changes your life here and now. Now, 
in an audience like this, I can guess that most of us have experienced darkness on some level. Could be darkness of soul, could be pain. Uh, Mary described this morning a darkness that she felt hopeless. She knew spiritual darkness because she had seven demons inside of her. The Bible says Jesus cast those out. I can imagine that that morning after Jesus is death, the fear of those things coming back. I mean, y'all have been escaped darkness before and thought, is it really gone? Will it creep back in? Will I go back? The movie The Chosen gave a great moment and that happened in that series. But there wasn't just hopelessness from Mary. What about the mother of Jesus who Anyone who's been a parent who can't step in and, and deliver and pull out the pain of a child, we know that darkness. It was scary. Her future hung in the balance. What about the disciples who went all in on this kind of rogue prophet? And Jesus demanded it. If you're not going to be willing to deny it all, don't follow me. So they went all in, left businesses, left families to follow Jesus and all took taken away. In the wake of the 2008 uh, stock market kind of crash that we had in the U.S., many hedge fund managers and financiers ended their lives because their whole livelihood was wrapped up in, in their money and their comfort and, and the, the security of the future taken from them in a moment. Here are these Disciples of Jesus are feeling that. Peter, maybe the most, right? Denied Jesus, turned his back, looked at him. He, seeing Jesus die, knowing he would never be able to reconcile. Never look in his face and tell his, one of his best friends that he was sorry. There was Joseph of Arimathea who had kind of labored his political and laid down his political revenue to follow this Jesus. He was a Sadducee. He was a court uh, official. Him coming and saying, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, no credibility. Most historians and theologians think that he wasn't even invited to the court the night they condemned Jesus. Isolated in his career, isolated in his life, a rich man. But he would provide the tomb. He knew darkness. One of the darkness that, that kind of creeps in this story that's even unmentioned is that even Devon last week talked about there was as many as 2 million people in Jerusalem this weekend. How many of them didn't even know Jesus existed? Maybe half? Maybe, maybe a million didn't even know Jesus was there? Hadn't even heard of this Galilean prophet? It's like being at a party when everyone's talking about you and you don't know it. It's affecting you, but you have no clue what's going on. There is a darkness of ignorance. When I was younger, I was afraid of the dark. Not all dark, but some dark. Anybody else here afraid of the dark? Two of us? Okay. It's fine. 
Well, my parents, we lived in this house. It was kind of a wooded lot, so there was trees, and it was dark at night. And in order to take the trash out at night, you had to walk around the screened-in porch, go down the stairs, walk around the screened-in porch, and then there was the trash can, the one that you took to the street. And the screened-in porch was elevated, so there was plenty of room for monsters and creeps to hide, you know? That you, you imagine in your head. I mean, you could literally stand down there in under, and no one could see you. And so we had floodlights on the corners of the house, which did not point under the screen and porch. And so my brother and I, um, we had this game, whose ever turn it was. We would try to see how many times we could get them to run back with the trash before they got to the trash can <laughs> by standing with our finger on the light, right? Does he get to the bottom of the stairs? Lights out, he comes back up. Th threats, you know, I'm going to kill you, things like that. Yeah, 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 I will do it again. Hands on the light. Does he get around the corner? Lights out. He'll run back up. So if you waited too long, he would make it to the trash can and run back empty-handed, and the game was over. So you had to time it just right, you know. And so we, we did that game. First it was my turn, then it was the next time it was his turn, you know, and we just tortured each other, what brothers do. But we always knew where to run, right? Back up the stairs into the house. It's interesting with darkness of soul, whether it's shame or, or guilt, pain, hopelessness, uncertainty, all these kind of scenarios at play in the story, sometimes you just don't know where to run. The lights go out and you're standing there and groping in the dark. But Jesus gives us a way, and, I, and with the little thing this morning is that a faith confession as we read here in Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. A confession doesn't create the power. The power's been created when Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross and my sins on the cross and rose from the dead. A power was released. It could be all around you and you not touch it. But a faith confession is stepping into that power so it, now it becomes a part of your life. The fear wanes. The shame is wiped away. The uncertainty about the future, all gone. Because he lives. This life isn't the final word. A faith confession. A faith confession that brings change in our lives has four qualities. The first is this, our faith confession must be based in truth, or, or said another word, it must be historical. We do not, as followers of Jesus, have um, a philosophy on life. Is there philosophy in the Bible? Absolutely. It's not a principle, a set of principles that access us into the kingdom of God. That's not this faith. Are there principles? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the philosophy of the text and the principles of the New Testament all hinge on one historic reality. Jesus rose from the dead. You pull this reality out, all the house of cards falls. Paul said it this way, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, your faith is useless and you should be pitied among all men. Our confession isn't 
a phantom. It, it's, um, I was talking to another friend about this concept of being afraid of the dark, and, and one of their parents would, would take a, a Lysol spray if, if there was a, a monsters in the closet. And they'd say, hey, man, we got some, some monster spray, and they'd spray Lysol and shut the door. And then all oh, the kids are like, oh, good, the monster spray. You know, took care of the monsters, right? We don't have monster spray. This fictitious faith belief that if you believe in it, you can sleep better at night. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a faith reality, this conviction that Jesus Christ died and rose again. It has real teeth. It has power. A man by the name of Habermas studied the the historical Jesus and, and what happened around the resurrection and what he did was he studied the, the, the historical journals and he found six key um, and believed historical facts around the resurrection to then try to explain what happened here because something happened. And so he went through the historical record and he found six facts that it, most historians believed. 95 plus percent atheist, Christian, agnostic across the board, secular and believer. So these facts are true. Number one, Jesus is a historical figure. We have uh, Tacitus, the Roman historian. We have Josephus, the Hebrew historian. We have F.F. Bruce saying the historical historicity of Jesus is as axiomatic or unquestionable of an unbiased for an unbiased historian as the historicity of Julius Caesar. The reality that Jesus existed is fact. Now, we have some conspiracy theories today that I'm not even standing up here today, right? We can find historical, we can find conspiracy. But, but an unbiased historian would say, this is fact. Jesus existed. Two, Jesus was killed by Roman crucifixion. James Tabber, an, an agnostic, says this, I think we have no doubt that Jesus' execution by Roman crucifixion, he was truly dead. The Journal of the American Medical Association said this, clearly the weight of historical medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound went in his side. He was dead. He was real. He was dead by Roman crucifixion. They have no historical record ever of anyone surviving a Roman crucifixion. It's, it's interesting when your job is to kill people and your life depends on it, you do it well. <clears throat> Third thing, that Jesus' disciples believed that he rose from the dead. Ludman, an atheist, said this, It may be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. He said, look, we, we, we looked at the historical evidence, and it is clear to us that to go with, through what these men went through, they had to experience something. They believed that Jesus rose from the dead, whether he rose from the dead or not. They believed it. Jesus' tomb was empty. John A.T. Robinson of Cambridge University said, one of the best attested facts we have about the historical Jesus is that the tomb is empty. What's also interesting is, if you'll go to Jerusalem today, they'll take you to about three or four different places where they think Jesus was buried. You know why they don't know? Because it wasn't that important. 
because he's alive. We weren't honoring this monument of dead Jesus. We were serving a living Lord. When you have great people and they die, you monument their death. But when they're alive, their tomb is in, insignificant. The conversion, number five, of the church persecutor saw. There's evidence of this. For lack of time, I'm not going to go through this. And the conversion of James, Jesus' half-brother, became a leader in the church. Why do I say these things? Because every reality, every theory played up. Did Jesus, well, he wasn't really dead. Oh, he was dead. Oh, his disciples made it up until three or four of them started dying, and then we give up the whole coup, right? When your brother worships you as God, something happened. I've gotten no temptation here, right? And yet James, the half-brother of Jesus, would die for this reality. My brother was the Christ, the Son of God. Something happened. It would take a resurrected Lord to convince us. Our, our faith confession is in truth. It's historical. It's reality. It's not monster spray. It's not just something we close our eyes and say it real fast, hoping people don't dig. It's reality. It has teeth. It's interesting here, though, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that the confession is necessary. And I want to speak to that because, yes, we're talking about salvation and an eternity, an eternity and a right with God that starts now, but we're also talking about the darkness that creeps into your life every day. Some of us, maybe most of us in this room, have made a faith confession. Jesus is the Lord of your life, but the darkness you're experiencing today is very real. And let me just help you. It requires a confession. The spoken word out of your mouth with the belief in your heart pushes back darkness. It doesn't say you believe in your heart. It says you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. There's something released inside of you and in the world when we combine our faith with our mouth. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a simple set of religious practices. Jesus wasn't killed on a cross because he told people to be moral and good. He was killed on a cross because he claimed to be God. And that your religion won't get you there. That makes religious people really mad. But there is a righteousness that comes by faith. Not based on our works, but based on his. He made the penicillin. He paid the price. He did all the work, but you have to take the pill. You have to say with your mouth. Number two, our faith confession must be personal. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, it's got to be yours. It, it can't be your parents, young person. It can't be your, your cultural family belief. It's got to be yours. It's got to come out of your mouth. 
I can carry you along only so far, but eventually you've got to say it. It was actually on this campus. My parents raised me right. I, I was raised in church, and they were telling me about Jesus, but eventually I had to stand and be accounted. It's personal. It's my faith. I remember I was in college. My friend invited me to this football game. At the time, the University of Tennessee had the largest stadium in the country. And they were playing Notre Dame, and, and Notre Dame was good that year. Peyton Manning was playing for, for Tennessee, and so it was going to be a good day. But we got there, and, and I realized when we got there that my, my friend got me there with a promised ticket, but I found out it was a student ticket. And I was not a student of the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. I was at ECU. But, you know, we played the part. We got our one card from his friend. Slotted it through. I guess I didn't look like a Tennessean. And as soon as I walked in, the guy looks at me, the security guard says, what's your name? Uh, Gary, you know, whatever it was. Come over here and march my rear end right out of that stadium. Because it wasn't my ID. You got to have your own ID. You can't get in with somebody else's. It's got to be your faith. Our faith confession isn't just personal, but it's got to be public. Acts 2 says, repent and be baptized. Baptism is the declaration that it's not my life anymore. Jesus rose from the dead. I'm his follower. I accept that it was my sin that he died for. And it's now his life that I live. Baptism is a public confession. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 10, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Baptism is a public declaration that I'm following Jesus. It's like getting married and having your wedding in secret. It's not going on the right foot, right? Hey, baby, I'll marry you. Just don't tell anybody. Right? Yes, I'm aligning my life to yours, but shh. Eventually, it's got to come out. I am with Jesus. It's, it's got to be rooted in truth. It's got to be historical. It's got to be personal. It's got to be public. And our faith confession must be a lifestyle. When Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis at the, at the door in Wittenberg, or Wittenberg, if you're a German, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, this is number one of the 95, willed the entire life of believers be one of repentance. What are we saying? We're saying that Jesus loved you so much, he'd be willing to suffer and die in your place. But your sin is so grievous against God that he had to die in your place. You're a sinner. Jesus didn't wink at your sin and bring you in. He said, you're guilty. Somebody's got to pay the price. You can pay it or I'll pay it. And when he paid it, Yes, it's supernatural. Yes, Jesus changes you forever. Yes, the light comes on. But when the light comes on, you start realizing it's dirty in here. And a lot dirtier than I thought. 
it's like that your dorm room when it's time to move out. You're like, probably should have vacuumed once this year. Yeah. The RAs are coming. And so what does that mean? That means don't be surprised at all the dirt. You haven't vacuumed. But now with the love of Jesus, you get to walk a lifestyle of repentance. Yeah, I was wrong about that. Why should that be shocking to you? Right? It's so, you want me to apologize? Yeah. There's lots to apologize for. You don't come to Jesus and now everything's perfect. No, now we get to walk with him through a life out of our darkness into his amazing light. It's a lifestyle. A faith confession in the good news of Jesus and his resurrection is the little thing that takes you out of the darkness of this life and grants you access into eternal life with God and changes your life here and now. Let me just give you a couple of these as we close. The reality that Jesus rose from the dead means this, that FOMO only goes so far. Has anybody suffered from FOMO? The fear of missing out? Yeah. I, I got it bad. I don't want to miss anything. That's why I just decided that social media is not going to help me, right? There's always something to miss out on. My wife jokes, she has JOMO, the joy of missing out. She's an introvert. She's like, praise God I wasn't there. It's awesome. That's why we're a great pair. The reality is that because Jesus rose from the dead, this life isn't it. If you miss something, then you're going to miss a lot. You can get it the next go round. Like, you're going to step out of the life into eternity with God. You're going to have another opportunity for a photo. You don't have to capture it all. If you don't get to go to that place, it's okay. Christ has a better place for you to see. If you don't get to do that thing or accomplish that, there's going to be more to accomplish in glory. This is not sitting around, and this is not on my notes, but heaven is not sitting around with fat babies and going like this. There is an eternal glory. Can you imagine when God created the earth, all that there is to discover? We still haven't discovered all there is on the earth. We still haven't done it. Thousands of years. We haven't. And you think heaven is going to be boring? Like, what are we going to do all the time? <laughs> Let me just help you. Before sin was in the world, God created the world and he said, fill the earth and subdue it. Create. Bring order to disorder. Before sin ever entered the world, in eternity with God to create and walk with him in relationship. It's just, I don't know everything is going to be. I know he's there. I know I'm going to be there. It's going to be awesome. So a little bit of FOMO gets moved out of the way. That pain and suffering has purpose. It's not just dirt and now we do the cycle again in someone else's life. There's an eternal purpose for your life. 
for what God wants to do in the earth while you're here. But one that gets me excited is that what he said was true. Because he rose from the dead, his death mattered for me. His blood was for you and me. That no matter what you've done, he can wipe it clean. And there's a lot to wipe clean, and there's a lot to be happy about that. But he also will walk with you by his spirit to change you along the way. And you don't have to be who you've always been. And then if you're walking in pain and suffering in this life that you don't see a way out, he will walk with you. He doesn't promise to take it all away. But he does promise that it will have meaning and purpose, and it won't be the end. It will come to an end. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that we get to set aside a day to honor the power and the beauty of the resurrection. Lord, you did something so big 2,000 years ago that somehow it's gaining momentum now in every tribe in every nation, in every place on the face of the earth. And it will not stop until the whole world is filled with his glory. If you're in here this morning, the Holy Spirit has been touching your heart and you're not sure you're right with God. You haven't made a public confession that Jesus is the Lord of your life. You've been walking in darkness, the darkness of pain, the darkness of shame, of uncertainty and hopelessness. Jesus wants to turn the light on this morning. In fact, he already has. The light is on. You can step into it this morning. If you would like to do that this morning, this Easter Sunday, I want you to raise your hand. Raise it high. Say, I'm I'm ready and willing to follow Jesus with my life. If you raise your hand this morning, I want you to pray this prayer. King Jesus, I surrender to you. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose from the dead. And that you are the Lord, not just of my life, but of all of human history, and all of eternity. I'm ready and willing to follow you. Fill me with your spirit. I need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. My second challenge to you in this room is that maybe you, by your own admission, maybe most of you, Jesus is Lord, but the darkness is real. What's your faith confession? What's coming out of your mouth? Is it true? Is it personal? Is it rooted in the truth of this Bible, of what Jesus says about who you are? Man, the light comes on when the word is in our mouth. Amen? All right, let's stand to our feet this morning.
Thank you so much for joining us this Easter Sunday. Thank you for those who joined us online. It was an honor. Didn't we have an amazing, talented folks here this morning? Thank you, Beth, for helping us enter into the story in ways that we wouldn't have. Thank you, youth band, for your time and energy. It's awesome. Isn't God good? He is alive, is he not? Amen. Turn around and greet someone. Tell them you're glad they're here. We'll see you next week.